Chapter Two of the Bells of San Juan. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Bells of San Juan by Jackson Gregory. Chapter Two, The Sheriff of San Juan. The girl in the old mission garden stood staring at Ignacio Chavez a long time, seeming compelled by a force greater than her own to watch him tugging and jerking at his bells. Plainly enough, she understood that this was an alarm being sounded, a man dead through violence and the bell-ringer stirring the town with it. But when presently he let two of the ropes slip out of his hands and begin a slow, mournful towing of the captain alone, she shuddered a little and withdrew. That it might be merely a case of a man wounded, even badly, did not once suggest itself to her. Ignacio had spoken as one who knew, in full confidence and with finality. She should see. She returned to the little bench, which one day was to be a bright green, and sat down. She could see that again the pigeons were circling excitedly, that from the baking street little puffs of dust arose to hang idly in the still air, as though they were painted upon the clear canvas of the sky. She heard the voices of men, faint, quick sounds against the tolling of the bell. Then suddenly all was very still once more. Ignacio had allowed the captain to resume his silent brooding came to her. I must go see who it is, he apologized. Then I will know better how to ring for him. The sheepman from Las Palmas, I bet you. For did I not see when just now I passed the Casablanca that he was a little drunk with Senor Galloway's whiskey? And does not every one know he sold many sheep? And that means much money these days, see, eh, senorita? It will be the sheepman from Las Palmas. He was gone, slouching along again, and in no haste now that he had fulfilled his first duty. What haste could there possibly be since sheepmen from Las Palmas or another he was dead, and therefore must wait upon Ignacio Chavez's pleasure? Somehow she gleaned this thought from his manner, and therefore did not speak as she watched him depart. That portion of the street which she could see from her bench was empty the dust settling, thinning, disappearing. Further down toward the Casablanca she could imagine the little knots of men asking one another what had happened and how. The chief actor in this fragment of human drama she could picture lying, inert, uncaring, that it was for him that a bell had tolled, and would toll again, that men congregated curiously. In a little while Ignacia would return, shuffling, smoking a dangling cigarette, his hat cocked against the sun, he would give her full particulars and then return to his bell. She had come to San Juan to make a home here, to become a part of it, to make it a portion of her. To arrive upon a day like this was no pleasant omen. It was too dreadfully like taking a room in a house only to hear the life rattling out of a man beyond a partition. She was suddenly averse to hearing Ignacio's details. There came a quick desire to set her back to the town, whose silence on the heels of uproar crushed her. Rising hastily, she hurried down the weed-bordered walk, out of the broken gate, and turned toward the mountains. One glance down the street as she crossed it showed her what she had expected, a knot of men at the door of the Casablanca, another small group at a window, evidently taking stock of a broken window-pane. The sun, angry and red, was hanging low over a distant line of hills. The flat lands were already drawing about them a thin, faintly colorful haze. She had put on her hat, and, like Ignacio, had set it 
a little to the side of her head, feeling her cheeks burning when the direct rays found them. The fine, loose soil was sifting into her low slippers before she had gone a score of paces. When she came back, she would unpack her trunk and get out a sensible pair of boots. No doubt she was dressed ridiculously, but then the heat had tempted her. A curious matter presented itself to her. In the little groups upon the street, she had not seen a single woman. There were none in San Juan. Was this some strange, altogether masculine community into which she had stumbled? Then she remembered how the bell-ringer had mentioned Mrs. Engle, the banker's wife, and his daughter, and Mrs. Stahl, and others. Besides all this, she had a letter to Mrs. Engle which she was going to present this evening. She was thinking of anything in the world but of a tragedy not yet grown cold, so near her that for a little it had seemed to embrace her. Now it was almost as though it had not occurred. The world was all unchanged about her, the town somnolent. She had shuddered as Ignacio played upon his bell, but to shudder was rather from the bell's resonant eloquence than from any more vital cause. A man she had never seen, whose name she did not know, had been shot by another man unknown to her. She had heard only the shots. She had seen nothing, true. She had heard also a voice crying out, but she sensed that it had been the voice of an onlooker. She felt ashamed that the episode did not move her more. As earlier in the afternoon she had been drawn from the heat of her room at Stobbs Hotel by the shade to be found in the Mission Garden. So now did a long, wavering line of cottonwoods beckon to her, in files which turned eastward or westward here and there, only to come back to the general northerly trend. They indicated where an arroyo writhed down, tortured serpent-wise, from the mountains. Through their foliage she had glimpsed the Engelholm. She expected to find running water under their shade, that and an attendant coolness. But the arroyo proved to be dry and hot, a gash in the dry bosom of the earth, its bottom strewn with smooth pebbles and sand and a very sparse, unattractive vegetation, stunted and harsh, and it was almost as hot here as on San Juan Street. Into the shade crept the heat waves of the dry, scorched air. Led by the line of cottonwoods, she found a little path and followed it, experiencing a vague relief to have the town at her back. She knew that distances deceived the eye in this bleak land, and yet she thought that before dark she could reach the hills, where perhaps there were a few languid flowers and pools, and return just tired enough to eat and go to sleep. She rather thought that she would postpone her call on the Ingalls until tomorrow. It's mana land, after all, she told herself with a quick smile. Half an hour later she found a spot where the trees stood in a denser growth, looking greener, more vigorous, less thirsty. She could fancy the great roots questing far downward through the layers of dry soil, thrusting themselves almost with a human, passionate eagerness into the water they had found. Here she threw herself down, lying upon her back, gazing up through the branches and leaves. Never until now had she known the meaning of utter stillness. She saw a bird, a poor, brown, unkempt little being. It had no song to offer the silence, and in a little flew away listlessly. She had seen a rabbit, a big, gaunt, uncomely wrench, disappearing silently among the clumps of brush. Her spirit, essentially bright and happy, had striven hard with a new form of weariness all day. Not only was she coming into another land than that which she knew and understood, she was entering another phase of her life. She had chosen voluntarily, without advice or suggestion. She had her reasons, and they seemed sufficient. They were still sufficient. She had chosen wisely. 
She held to that her judgment untroubled, but that stubbornly recurrent sense that with the old landmarks she had abandoned the old life, and both in physical fact and in spiritual and mental actuality she was at the threshold of an unguessed, essentially different life, was disquieting. There is no getting away from an old basic truth that a man's life is so strongly influenced as almost to be molded by his environment. There was uneasiness in the thought that here one's existence might grow to resemble his habit, taking on the gray tone and monotony and bleak barrenness of this sun-smitten land. Yielding a little already to the command laid upon breathing nature hereabouts, she was lying still, her hands lax, her thoughts taking unto themselves something of the character of the listless, songless brown bird's flight. She had come here today, following in the footsteps of other men and a few women. Her own selection of San Juan was explicable. The thing to wonder at was what had given the hardihood to the first men to stop here and make houses and then homes. Later she would know. The one magic word of the desert lands, water. For San Juan, standing midway between the railroad and the more tempting lands beyond the mountains, had found birth because here was a mud hole or cradle. Down under the sand were futurious layers of impervious clay, cupping to hold much sweet water. The slow tolling of a bell came billowing out through the silence. The girl sat up. It was the captain. Never it seemed to her. Had she heard anything so mournful? Ignacio had informed himself concerning all details and had returned to the garden at the mission. The man was dead, then. There could be no doubt as one listened to the measured sorrow of the big bell. She got to her feet and, walking swiftly, moved on, still further from San Juan. The act was without premeditation. Her whole being was insistent upon it. She wondered if it was the sheepman from Las Palmas, if he had perhaps a wife and children. Then she stopped suddenly. A new thought had come to her, strange and inexplicable even. It had not suggested itself before. She wondered who the other man was, the man who had done the killing, and what had happened to him. Had he fled? Had other men grappled with him, disarmed him, made him a prisoner to answer for what he had done? What had been his motive? What passion had actuated him? Surely, not just the greed for gold which the bell-ringer had suggested. What sort of creature was he? who, in cold, calculating blood, could murder a man for a handful of money. There was nothing to answer unless she could catch the thought of Ignacio Chavez in the ringing of his bell. She moved on again, hurrying. Following the arroyo, she had come to the first of the little smooth hills, the Lomas, as the men on the stage had named them. Through them the dry watercourse wriggled, carrying its green pinions along its march, she went up gentle slopes mantled with bleached grass which directly under her eyes was white in the glare of the sun but the sun was very low now very fierce and red an angry god going down in temporary defeat but defiant to the last filled with threat for tomorrow at a little distance he tinged the world with his own fiery hue the far western uplands cut the great disk squarely in two down slipped the half wafer until it seemed that just a bright signal-fire was kindled upon the ridge, and as that faded from her eyes the slow sobbing of the swinging bell was like a wail for the death of the day. She had removed her hat, 
fancying that already the earth was throwing off its heat, that a little coolness and freshness was coming down to meet her from the mountains. She turned her eyes toward them, and it was then, just after the sunset, that she saw a man riding toward her. He was still far off when she first glimpsed him, just cresting one of the higher hills so that for him the sun had not yet set, for she caught the glint of a light flaming back from the silver chasings of his bridle and from the barrel of the gun across the hollow of his left arm. She did not believe that he had seen her in the shadow of the cottonwoods. If she went on, she must meet him presently. She glanced back over her shoulder, noting how far she had come from the town. It was very still again. The bell had ceased its complaint. The hoofs of the approaching horse seemed shod with felt, falling upon felt. She swung about and walked back toward San Juan. A little later she heard the man's voice calling, clearly to her since there was no one else. Why should he call to her? She gave no sign of having heard, but walked on a trifle faster. She sensed that he was galloping down upon her. Still, in the loose sand, the hoofbeats were muffled. Then, when he called a second time, she stopped and turned and waited. A splendid big fellow he was, she noted as he came on, riding a splendid big horse. Man and beast seemed to belong to the desert. Had it not been for the glint of the sun, she realized now she probably would not have distinguished their distant forms from the land across which they had moved. The horse was a darkish dull gray, the man boots, corduroy breeches, soft shirt and hat, was garbed in gray or so covered with dust of travel as to seem so. "'What in the world are you doing way out here?' he called to her. And then, having come closer, he reined in his horse, stared at her a moment in surprised wonderment, swept off his hat and said a shade awkwardly, "'I beg your pardon. I thought you were someone else.' For her wide hat was again drooping about her face, and he had just the form of her and the white skirt and waist to judge by. "'It's all right,' she said lightly. "'I imagined that you had made a mistake.' It was something of a victory over herself to have succeeded in speaking thus carelessly, for there had been the impulse, a temptation almost, just to stare back at the man as he had stared at her in silence. Not only was the type physically magnificent to her, it was, like everything about her, new, and that which she held her at first was his eyes, for it is not the part of youth to be stern-eyed and while this man could not be more than midway between twenty and thirty, his eyes had already acquired the trick of being hard, steely, suggesting relentless, stern, and quick. Tall, lean-bodied, the big calloused hands, as brown as an Indian, hair and eyes were uncompromisingly black. He belonged to the southwestern wastes. These things she noted, and that his face was drawn and weary, that about his left hand was tied a handkerchief, hinting at a minor cut, that his horse looked as travel-worn as himself. "'One doesn't see strangers often around San Juan,' he explained. "'As for a girl, well, I never made a mistake like this before. I'll have to look out.' The muscles of the tired face softened a little into his eyes. Came a quick light that was good to see for an instant, masking their habitual sternness. "'If you'll excuse me again, and—' If you don't know a whole lot about this country, he paused to measure her sweepingly, seemed satisfied and concluded, I wouldn't go out all alone like this, especially after sundown. We're a rather tough lot, you know. Goodbye. He lifted his hat again. 
loosened his horse's reins and passed by her, just as she had expected, just as she had desired, and yet, with his dusty back turned upon her, she experienced a sudden return of her loneliness. Would she ever look into the eyes of a friend again? Could she ever actually accomplish what she had set out to accomplish, make San Juan a home? Her eyes followed him, frankly admiring now, so she might have looked at any other of nature's triumphant creations. Then, before he had gone a score of yards, she saw how a little tightening of his horse's reins had brought the big brute down from a swinging gallop to a dead standstill. The bell was tolling again. Again he was calling to her, again swinging about. He had ridden to her side. Now his voice, like his eyes, was ominously stern. Who is it? he demanded. I don't know, she told him, marveling at the look on his face. His emotion was purely one of anger, mounting anger that a man was dead. The man who rings the bell told me that he thought it might be a sheepman from Las Palmas. He went to see. I didn't wait. Nor did this man wait now. Again he had wheeled. Now he was racing along the arroyo, urging his tired horse that he might lose no unnecessary handful of moments. And as he went, she heard him curse savagely under his breath and knew that he had forgotten her in the thoughts which had been released by the dull booming of a bell. End of chapter 2